Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Good morning. We have a text we want to read from. It's sort of the aftermath, there's a great lesson in it, aftermath of the story of the woman at the well. Jesus encounters this lady alone at a well. After that story, sort of at the end of that encounter, in fact, Jesus is interrupted, really, by his disciples. Here's how it reads. Now, at that very moment, his disciples came back. They were shocked because he was speaking with a woman. However, no one said, I wonder what he wanted with her. Or or no one said, why are you speaking with her? And in that quiet, the woman leaves her water jar. She went off into the town, and she said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Surely he can't be the Messiah, can he? So they left the town, and they began coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, you got to eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples began to say to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did they? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of my father, the one who sent me, and to complete his work. And then he says, don't you say there are four months And then comes the harvest. I tell you, look up and see that the fields are already white for harvest. The one who reaps receives pay and gathers fruit for eternal life. So that the one who sows and the one who reaps can rejoice together. For in this instance, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent to reap. I sent you to reap what you did not work for. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. Now, right at this moment, the Samaritans from that town, many of them believed in him because of the report of the woman who testified. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they began to ask him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days. And they said to the woman, No longer do we believe because of your words. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this one really is the Savior of the world. That's our text this morning and we are actually today concluding what has been now a seven-week series on uh, this topic called Go Local. Uh, Becoming more effective at sharing our faith with others, and I think it's had uh, a, a significant impact on this church. We wanted to have a, we are having conversations right now as to what it means to keep go local before Hillside forever now. Forever, we are going to do this. So um, uh, we're in the process of doing that. Uh, I wasn't sure how to end this series. In fact, I thought last week would be the last one when I walked out. Wasn't sure what this week was going to be. I know what the next two, three are, but I didn't know what this one was. And so I, uh, 
Monday morning, just got up, do my reading. I read, I'm reading uh, the book of John and Revelation at the same time. And so uh, I came to John 4, and it was the story of the woman at the well, and then there was this ending here, which brought all the harvest imagery back that we had been looking at for weeks, and it was just a different perspective on it. And so um, it really hit me, and I, I, I want us to look at it. It would be a more fitting uh, conclusion to this series, and we get to take communion at the end of it, which is also fitting, as you'll see. So what I want to talk about with you today is how do we come out of hiding as believers? How do we come out of hiding? Uh, you know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount alluded to two uh, images as he was sharing with the people. Uh, you'll, you'll remember these. You are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. And then Jesus says, you know, in the next verse, uh, who would want to hide it? Why would you hide it? Um, that's not what you do with light. And Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world. You are. Now, um, so, a city on a hill. You built cities on a hill because it was safer. It also made it very convenient for travelers in the evening to, to locate the city. And a lamp in the windows on a sort of a higher spot would sort of filter a nice glow down the mountain and, and fit beautifully in the culture of hospitality. There's a lamp on in the window. If I'm traveling, I have a place I can go. It's an inviting place. So um, Jesus basically looks at these people and he says, you are that light. And he says, you're like a city on a hill. It can't be hidden. Um, and again, who would want to hide it? Uh, Dallas Willard. I, I read a book years ago by Dallas Willard called The Allure of Gentleness. And I reread it this summer in anticipation of this series. And I remember him saying something in there about this particular verse where he writes... Um, have you ever thought about trying to hide a city on a hill? Can you imagine being assigned the task of hiding San Francisco, say? How would you do that? And the point of this here is, in that culture, especially it's impossible to hide the city. There's no way you're going to block that, people turn the lights on and that. You're going to see it from anywhere and everywhere. And he says, you're that light. That's you. Impossible not to see. And these people that he was talking to, they weren't anything. There was nothing special about them. They had, in that culture, they had no leverage socially, economically, politically, uh, nothing. They had nothing. If you're one of them, you're like, how are we going to make a difference? Jesus, what I'm going to do for you is going to make you glow. I can make you glow. That's what the what it's about. There'll be something so obviously different about you that something would literally have to go terribly wrong for somebody not to see it. Terribly wrong if people can't see it in you. Um, and then 
And by the way, this is emphatic. This is you. He says, uh, and you are the salt, too. You know, the Romans used to say, the sun and the salt, two most important things you got to have. The Romans paid people in salt. Ever hear the phrase, worth your salt? That's where it comes from. They paid people in salt. That's how important it was. It's like having a refrigerator uh, and a spice cabinet all at the same time. It was critical. And so Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. You're a light that, that cannot be hidden, and, and it's impossible to, to mess with the, uh, the chemical makeup of salt. If salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? Which is, you know, salt, uh, sodium chloride, is a stable compound. Technically, it can't lose its flavor. You can mix stuff in it so much that it doesn't have flavor. But in and of itself, it can't. So Jesus is saying there's two impossibilities when you come. There's two impossibilities when you come to me. You can't be invisible. And you can't live in this world the way I'm telling you to live and not have an impact and not be like Saul. And if there is, something's terribly wrong. And notice what Jesus says. It's very strong language here. It's good for nothing but to be thrown out. That is strong language. It's an imposter. It's not really. You, you, you say you're salt, but you're not. It's a pretty powerful imagery. No, Jesus is saying, something's terribly wrong. If you're not having an effect and you're not being a light, something's terribly wrong. So, uh, how is it that the impossible is happening? That Christians aren't being seen and that they aren't affecting the world that they ought to be of the way they ought to be. Well, John 4 helps us. Um, because this woman is an interesting sort of illustration. She, she represents both sides. She represents the person who's coming to Christ. And then she's also an illustration of a person who shares Christ. The second half of the story. And in this imagery, there are two, really, two images. Images, water and food. In the first part of the story where Jesus is interacting with her, it's water he's offering her. In the second part of the story, it's the food he's offering the disciples. And so the food and the drink come together really profoundly here. And Jesus says, I have both. He looks at the woman and he says, I have water you need. And then he looks at the disciples and says, I have food you need. Both images. Now the water imagery um, is Jesus sort of, because in the, woman, the story of the woman at the well, which we didn't read, he encounters this woman, and he's very loving, and he's gentle, uh, and he gets right to the bottom of her heart. He really uncovers her pain. Uh, and he does it so beautifully, and he, and he describes it as a thirst, this need for fulfillment you have that you keep finding in, in, in people, in relationships. For her, it was her husband and husbands, and this time the man she's living with. And, uh, and it just represented her deep need and longing. For the disciples, on the other hand, it was, it, it's how they're going to sustain life after finding Christ. That's their food. 
When you find Christ, it's like finding eternal water, everlasting water. And when you, when you obey him, it's like sustenance. It's food for you on both ends. You need him on both ends. And both images uh, speak of necessity and sustenance. It's eternal living now. You can't survive without these. They're spiritual basics. And she gets both. She gets the water of salvation and she is eating the food of obedience and sharing Christ. Because remember, she's been hiding at the well. Jesus finds her in her hiding spot. And the next minute we see her, she's running right into the town she's been avoiding. Now, when you realize what Jesus has done for her in this moment, you think to yourself, yeah, it would have been strange. It would have been extremely strange for her to go back after meeting Jesus to living the way she always had, hiding at the well. It would have been very strange for her to just walk right back in and, and, and do life with that man she was living with, with no change. It would have been so strange for her to do that. And yet we think it's such a big deal that she runs into town. It's such a drastic thing. And yet it would have been even more strange if she'd have stayed hidden after meeting Christ. And so here it is that the disciples come in right at this moment. And it's a perfect moment. And what, what happens when they get there is we see the barriers. What is keeping Christians from being seen and making an impact? How is it that that impossibility is happening? Well, there are two barriers. I think the first one our text gives us is a cultural barrier. So remember, Jesus says says to her, listen, you need this water. And now I know your background and your story. And then she goes, to avoid the topic, she goes, well, when the Messiah gets here, he'll, he'll, he'll figure all that out, won't he? And Jesus says... I am he. It's me. And all of a sudden, she puts the whole story together. All the puzzle pieces that she's been rattling in her brain all along, when she finally realized who Jesus is, they all come together, and it's a drop-dead moment for her. And this is the moment that the boneheads show up. Okay? The bumbling disciples. You and me. This is Bumbling disciples, you and me, show up right at this moment, at that very moment, the intense moment. Disciples come back. And, and this, is, this is them. All they can experience is shock that he's talking to a woman. And then the author beautifully tells us what was going on in their head, even though they never said it. This is sort of the internal struggle going on in their head. And it's a cultural one. They're not even thinking, what was the conversation? They're thinking, what could he possibly have wanted from her? And then they're saying, why would he be talking to her? So this is what's going on, and this is what's playing in their head. I think there are things that play in our head, culturally speaking. Uh, And for her, in this situation, these guys would have been sitting there going, the first reaction is, what is he doing talking to a woman? Because in this sort of... uh, male-dominated culture. You didn't do that. You didn't do that in public. You didn't have a conversation with a lady. So that was the first problem, and she points out all these problems, by the way. 
She goes, you're not, not only am I a woman and you're a man, but you're a rabbi. And by the time this conversation is over, you're going to realize I'm a social outcast. I got no sort of moral mores guiding my world. I'm just free-floating, getting by, making do. And here you are talking to me. That would never happen in a moralistic society like that one. And then you got the fact that their race, she, he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan, a half-breed. They didn't interact. Jesus is literally crossing at least three cultural man-made barriers that he's pushing against here. He's pushing past them. Because something is more important than that. I think a lot of us are in hiding over some of the cultural things going on there. We live in a very strange cultural reality. Hard, harsh, angry, incapable of dialoguing, polarizing. Everyone's right. No one gives anyone grace on on either side. Everyone is right. It's like crazy. And those barriers, we get sucked into some of those. Listen to what Jesus does here. And then we'll tease out that a little bit. Jesus um, says, so the, the, the disciples come back and they're worried about him eating. Remember, they left town to begin with. They left him alone to go get something to eat anyway. So Jesus is, Jesus is about to use that imagery there and say, listen, guys, you... you there's, there's more to the spiritual life than food and shopping and the, all the sort of the everything you got to do every day. I have food you don't know anything about. There's something else that sustains me. So disciples who are just like the woman, Jesus says he's going to give her water and she's like, well, you don't have a bucket. How are you going to give me water? You don't have a bucket. Where's your water? She thinks it's literal water. And, and these monkeys think it's real food. No one brought them anything to eat, did they? <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is like, no, 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 guys, you're missing it. You're missing it. Just like she missed it. It's funny. The ones who already know him miss it, and the ones who don't know him miss it. We're all missing it. That puts us in a group of people who are missing it, even though we've kind of found it. It's strange, because that's them. The one who sent me, I'm going to do what he, his will, complete his work. That's the mission. This is what we're supposed to be about. Sharing the faith, this is your food, this is your sustenance. Doing what God wants you to be doing in the world. By the way, what are you doing if you're not light shining and you're not salt preserving? What are you doing? That's a great question to ask in this text. And so Jesus is about to say, look, guys, this is what he says, and this is where he goes. And I love this. This is just beautiful. There are four months, and then comes the harvest, right? Isn't that what you guys say? And he's still hitting on the, yeah, you got to eat. Yeah, there are cultural barriers everybody's following. Yeah, harvest works a certain way. Farming, we've been looking at farming, and we've been pointing out the fact that there's a time to sow, and then there's a waiting and then there's a time to reap. We've been pointing that out. 
And Jesus says, I know that's how you guys see things. Here's another way to look at the harvest imagery we've been looking at for a month. Look up and see the fields are already ripe. It's harvest time now. This is the way believers need to live their life. Like they are reapers, always looking to reap. You're like, ah, because these guys have missed it. They've popped in on a beautiful moment and completely missed it. Because of their cultural issues, because they're hungry, because there's, there's lives to be lived. They just missed it. You guys need to look up. Meanwhile, in the background of this, there's an entire town on their way to him. Hey, guys, look around you, would you? They're missing it. And then he says this to them. This is the time it is. The one who reaps receives pay and gathers fruit for eternal life. So Jesus is not talking about any kind of farming. He's talking about eternal life. This is what he had just talked to the woman about. Guys, look around you. There's people who need eternal life like this woman at the well, which you completely dismissed. You dismissed her. What are you looking at? Cultural barriers got you blinded? There's eternal life at stake here. People need it. You know what Jesus is basically saying? You know, after you reap and you take in, you cash in. Jesus is saying it's payday. When you see reapers getting paid, that means they've brought in the crop and delivered it. That means money's on the table. Money's changing hands. Jesus says it's payday. Who doesn't love payday? For believers, what's payday? It's harvest. It's seeing people get eternal life. And so he says, the one who sows can rejoice together with the one who reaps. You never see the sower and the reaper in the field at the same time. There's always a gap. Jesus say, now, what does Jesus mean? Well, remember how the, remember how the text ended? Jesus saying, I am he. I am here. She said, when, when the Messiah comes, she's saying, I'm here, which means it's harvest time. I'm here, and so it's harvest time. Because I'm on the scene, eternal life is available at any moment, any time, any time of the year, and I need your heads up so you can see it. That's what he said. The sower and the reaper together. Now, you'd never see that in real life, but you would see it spiritually. That there's a harvest ready. Because I'm here. Now, this is what he says, and this is interesting. He says to them, now, in this particular instance, and commentators are trying to figure out how this verse fits with the one he just said. Because it's sort of, a, it's, it's the perspective that you and I have been looking at farmers and Jesus brings both images together here he says in this particular moment though the saying is true one sows and another reaps he's separating them again in this moment he said why is he doing that he just brought them together now he's bringing the sower and the reaper apart why is he saying because in this moment it is very true I'm sending you to reap what you didn't work for there's a whole town coming out to see me you didn't do a thing but go shopping you didn't do a thing but go shopping. Others have labored. 
and you're about to enter into their labor. All he's saying is there was a time when the prophets spoke of me, they were sowing. But now that I'm on the scene, it's harvest time, baby. Eternal life is available. Come and get it. It's come and get it time. It's payday. I'm here. We have to live like Jesus is here and ready. And eternal life is available. Even despite the fact that we have cultural issues that keep us at bay. We got issues in our culture. How do you relate to women? It's a big issue. We got political issues. As polarizing as it's ever been. We got this sort of vibe in the world that everybody has their own truth. And that scares Christians to death. We don't know what to do with it. We don't want to bring up any truth at the fear that we might violate someone. Because everybody's worried about, hey, you just keep it to yourself. There's no proselytizing. You don't try to sell me on what you have. And it's all very, very muddy. And so we keep quiet. Well, there's cultural norms here. Same here. Jesus pushing against all of them. And I think we're being called to push against them too. You never say, well, there are certain times for the gospel to come out. There are certain times. There's protocols and processes and understandings that you got to have. A way things work socially and culturally. Of course you got to be smart and take them into account. But at the end of the day, it's harvest time anywhere, anytime. All the time, there are no barriers to eternal life. They've been wiped away. As long as you have Christ, and he had this way of being so gentle and so loving, he didn't just go crashing through the culture's barriers, but he knew how to interact with people in a way that when he was countercultural, they still loved him. They could still have a dialogue with him. We seem incapable of doing that. We actually, I think, as Christians right now, are more concerned about political stances than we are spiritual ones. We're more bugged that people don't see things the way we see them, socially, politically, and culturally, than we are that they don't have Christ. That is why your city is hidden. And you have no impact where you are. Incredible. We've got to be able to interact with people without being defensive, without having to be right, in a way that makes them want to dialogue with us. In the same book, Allure of Gentleness, Dallas Willard says, I don't. I'm not here to defend the Christian faith. The Christian faith defends me. The reason I can be who I am is because it defends me. It's changed me. It's what it's done for me. That is the defense. The way I live is the defense. The ultimate apologetic, he says, is my life, not my arguments, not my positions. And that leads me to number two, the second thing. 
The second barrier, I think, is just so much more personal because you're going to see a personal side of her that she's been hiding, that has finally been allowed to come out here. All right? She has a whole new identity in Christ. How do you see yourself, by the way, in Christ? First of all, she's a woman. She's got she's to wrestle with that fact in a male-dominated culture. She's socially outcast. She's got to wrestle with that fact about who she is. She's morally bankrupt. She's a half-breed. So she's, uh, she is the racial stereotype. She's got all these issues. And what's interesting is when Jesus is talking to her and she tries to get a little religious on him. Oh, yeah, I know you Jews, you, you know, you worship over here. Well, we worship over here in this little mountain over here. We've built our own thing because they won't have anything to do with us. So we've built our own thing over here. And, I'm, and you just look in it for a minute and you just go, how's that working for you, this little thing you guys set up over here? Well, the truth is you're still living with a guy. You're still hiding from society. Nothing in your life's changed. Whatever this religious thing you got going on in your life, it's not working. And I love it because Jesus comes in and then something radical happens to her that does work. He gives her living water. The spirit. He talks about the spirit coming alive in her. And this is the verse he says to her. He says to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks some of the water that I'll give them will never be thirsty again. Not at the deepest soul level. That water I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. Just eternal life bubbling up in you. And, and, and at that moment, it, it must have hit her. That's the water I need. Because what does she do? What does the story tell us she do? First thing she does is she leaves the water pot. The water pot she held and that represented her whole life. Her hiding, her, her sort of immoral and unhealthy, unfulfilled relationships that she can't seem to get right. Everything is just that's the water jar. That's what she came there for. And she leaves it. Don't need it anymore. It's like, I found a water. I have found a different kind of water. And then she runs off into the town that she's been hiding from. This is a radical thing. She's come out of hiding. She's leaving her hiding spot. You know that she can't go running into that town with this new message without all the way to town thinking to herself, I cannot go back to living with that man. And I certainly won't show up at the well at the same time I showed up to it today. Can't be the same. Otherwise, everything she said would have meant nothing to that town. You mean you're going to announce this amazing thing that's happened to you, and you're going to go on living the same life you've been living since you met Christ? No. She knows on the way there, she's free. She left the pot. She left the bucket. She doesn't need to now dig deep and try to find fulfillment. It's bubbling up inside of her now. Just like Jesus told her it was. She's not hiding at the well. Her values have changed. She's operating out of a whole new identity. And 
she says to them, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. He looked deep into me. He's got to be the Messiah. Because that's the implied answer. It's got to be him. But it's asked as a question so that you have to ponder it. Is it him? Maybe it is him. I should go check. She has no, she's pretty clear. Or else she wouldn't have been able to do what she did here. And so God's presence, this life from above, life from above this world, has come into her life and it's bubbling up things that have never been in there before. Peace, joy, hope, a whole new identity. And she's like saying, I can't shut that off. I'll explode if I try to hold that water back. He's so radically changed my life, my heart, my identity, and my past. And Jesus is at the center of this change. There's no way she could go into town and just be different without announcing how that change has occurred. There's just no way. There's no way she's going to be able to rock back into that town, be the di- a different woman, and never bring up Jesus' name. Is that possible? Well, don't we do it all the time? Tim Keller says of her response, I really love it. If you're a Christian... And it's clear your life has changed. And you never disclose Jesus at the center of that change. You're being dishonest. Just like she was every time she went to the well. She's just hiding. And he says, it's just wrong. It's wrong for you to live a completely different life. And never bring him up as the center of it. I was very convicted by that. She didn't have to lie and hide and pretend anymore. With Christ in your life, he busts that personal thing too. He doesn't only overcome the cultural barriers because he's offering eternal life. He's also busting through those personal ones. Where you and I are so afraid because we don't relate in a way that allows other people to see us and to talk about him without being offensive. Our light can be too, we're worried about our light being too blinding and our salt being too much. No one wants too much salt. And no one wants a blinding light in their eyes. Jesus had a way of being salt and light he didn't do that to people. And she doesn't have to pretend anymore. She's being authentic. Which means we're not being authentic if we're out there living a different life and his name never comes up. So they've come to him. And it's a beautiful scene about this moment here. 
They're interrupted again, except this time it's from the townspeople that she just proclaimed Jesus' name to. So they come out to Jesus. They come out to see him, ask him to stay. Many of them believe he preaches. I guess he said something about her. I guess, I guess. Yeah, I, what would you do if you were the Samaritans and you were Jesus? Wouldn't your message be something like this? I guess you all know her. Let me tell you a little bit about her. What I told her about living water. And what I told my disciples about food. And they come to cry. They believe. And then you have verse 42, which is a very, very powerful statement. They said to the woman, no longer do we believe because of your words. This is the point of the harvest and the whole thing Jesus was saying. We have heard for ourselves and we know that this one really is the Savior. Act like you don't see this word for a minute. The Savior of the You fill in the blank. The savior of people who live in a certain culture. The savior of people who uh, have a certain IQ. Servant of, savior of people who live in a certain geography. They don't have these mental blocks or these moral blocks. Certain moral aptitude you gotta have. What is your blank? What is he the savior of? Who are you excluding? Because this takes us all the way back, what? To John 3. John 3, 16. Do you know no other religion is based on love? Do you know no other religion has this verse? No other religion. Google it. You can Google it. No other religion has that verse. And because he's loving, he's crashing through the cultural barriers because he loves her. And he's willing to risk a little bit of the the pushback you might get. But he does it in such a way that's so gentle and loving, it's hard not to be able to sit and still have a dialogue with him. And then she's so cultural, she's so authentic now, she can't help but bring up the one who's changed her life. Both barriers are crashed. Now we're about to take communion. Food and drink. This is Jesus' thing for us to do enough that we never forget this. You never forget the water that he gave you, and you never forget the obedience and the life you're supposed to live in caring about other people getting it. You can't come get and suck down all the great water of life and then hold it in. No, because you're sustained. Once you have that life, you're sustained by doing God's will in the world. So Jesus says, here, take this. Take this bread and take this wine. Let it remember what I did for you. That it's basic sustenance, essential to survival. And we take it in, changed from the inside, nourished on obedience. 
And he gives us a life that is literally impossible to hide. And at the same time, it's food and drink, basics. I can't live without these two things. And some of you might be trying to live without it. And so if you're here, you're going to get up in a moment. You're going to get up and you're going to go get these elements. And one of two things, you're going to do it in one of two ways. I'm challenging you. The first one is this. You might be saying, God, I need you in my life. I'm going to take this in. I want the water and then I want to obey you and do your will. I've been trying to do mine. It's not working. I'll take it. I'll take it. I want you in me. That's the water. In other words, I'm trusting you. I'm going to put down the pot that I've been putting everything in. Or you're going to get up and you're going to go get those elements. And you're going to say, God, I need your life to come through me. I have you in me. You're not getting out. And I don't want to be dishonest anymore about what you've done for me. I don't want to hide anymore. So you might be hiding from him and you need him in your life. And you might be hiding him in your life. Either one. But we're coming out of hiding today. So that's what communion represents. We're coming out of hiding one way or another. You're going to trust him for salvation or you're going to let him authentically come through you in the world. Let's stand to our feet. Here's what we're going to do. You can keep, you go ahead and grab your stuff with you. You're going to go grab elements all over. Just grab your elements and then just make your way down to the front. We're going to have, like, sing a half a chorus. And then we're going to uh, take the elements together. So you just go get them thinking of these two things, one or the other. Jesus coming out of hiding for us. Then he leave heaven and come here in the flesh, die on a cross in the open. And in doing that, he removed the barriers. The barriers are gone. The ones, the ones that kept me from getting to him are gone. That's what the cross does. then he rose from the dead and shattered the barrier that keeps us from God and eternal life just opened up eternity for us there's no barriers to come to him and because of that there's no barriers to keep from sharing him that's what's here if you're going to take it in got to be praying, Lord, thank you for, for loving me that much. I'll leave everything I thought was fulfilling me for you. And then, God, 
let me be nourished on a daily basis by what you've done for me and the change that's happened in my life. And I pray it becomes visible to others. It's not about any of us, it's about him coming through. That's why he died. His body broken for us. shed for us. Sing that chorus one more time. Oh, come. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Amen? Amen. It's great to see you this morning. I hope you'll be back next week for Legacy. Don't forget to be back. It's an important week uh, for us. And um, today, if you're leaving and if you need to talk to someone, there are two prayer corners. Feel free to do that. I'm going to stay down the front. If I can help you with anything, I'll be down here. Otherwise, have a great week. Uh, come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.